Welcome to Face Your Faith with West Kenyon. It is our hope that today's study will encourage you to grow deeply in your relationship with God as we study the Word together. Now let's join West for today's study. Today our topic is on risk and faith. An unusual combination, I know, but that stands to reason based on my personality. I don't like thinking inside the box and believe we need to force ourselves to see God's Word on a really big, broad scale, well outside the box. Big in the sense of big picture, walking away from tunnel vision that most Christians subscribe to for life and broad in the sense of, and speaking from a Westerner and a citizen of the United States point of view, that God is not smiling on Americans more than he is anyone else in every other nation that call on his name. God is not interested in countries and their borders, as in land masses. God is interested in the nation of believers around the world. There are two nations in this world, the righteous and the unrighteous, the believing and the unbelieving, the saved and the unsaved, those who call on his name and those who do not. There will be one nation that will reside in the kingdom of heaven and one nation that will reside in the kingdom of hell. And at this point, I will take my first risk, if I haven't already. God is not taking America to heaven when he returns, nor is he taking Israel or Russia or Italy or Australia or any other country on the planet for that matter. Jesus did not die for the unbelievers. He died for the nation of believers. For more on that, look up 1 Thessalonians 4.16 when we're finished. And by complete unwavering faith, I can say this with full confidence, no matter what anyone thinks or says, and for only one reason. And that is because my unwavering faith is in God, who expects me to take life-changing, life-altering risk. And that is how he calls his nation of believers to live. Taking God-honoring risk that is rooted in profound faith in him and in his word. This is how we are to live our lives for God and before all nations. And how is my bantering about heaven and hell and who is going to heaven and hell have anything to do with risk and faith? Well, because it is the most politically and religiously charged example I could come up with that is very likely a topic not to have around the dinner table, school, work, at a party, and with out-of-town guests and a church. But if this is truly one of those topics that God requires of us to face and get real with, then we are to discuss it openly and honestly and take that risk through faith and get back to Christ-centered basics. As always, I now need to fully back all of this up with God's Word, which is risky to speak and risky to believe and risky to teach. Truly, Christ-centered teaching that is grounded, rooted, cemented in place is very, very risky business. But when that business of God-honoring risk is grounded, rooted, and cemented in God-honoring faith, the risk is completely irrelevant. It doesn't matter whatsoever if anyone, even those who may call themselves Christians or believers, disagree. If we are truly, by faith, speaking God's words in truth and in love and humility, and this is where the church, lowercase c, and referring to places of worship where people go, are straying further and faster from Christ-centered, authentic, unapologetic, biblical boldness. Why? Because many churches and their leaders are afraid of taking any measurable risk. Oh, the churches still preach faith, but faith without works, works being risk, is dead. 
And so the church is dying, and at the same speed churches attempt to cater to the desires of the attenders over the mandates and desires of God. Churches are terrified to upset anyone, the risk of offending, just to make sure their churches stay full and relevant, cool and popular and looked up to, and staff can draw their salaries and tax-free lifestyles. No, this is certainly not all churches, but at this point in history, it is definitely the majority of churches and the trajectory of leadership. Churches are terrified to lose people, which equal dollars, and so everything is carefully planned. The messages are carefully crafted to make sure no line is crossed that could get someone to walk away midway through the service. But why? Why would any church want to hang on to people that choose not to hear the truth? How is that God-honoring leadership? Why would God allow your church to even grow if you are not taking risk and having people walk out? That just might mean you are really doing your job to the honor and glory of God. John 3.19, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light because his works will be exposed. And that will cause you to walk out, potentially even run out of a church. With that, why would God allow you to personally grow in your relationship with him if you are not taking risk and listening and teaching and telling what is most uncomfortable? How will your faith grow strong if we are afraid of doing what he told us to do, taking God-honoring risk? This no-risk, low-risk attitude is better known as the church of peace and prosperity. Yet this church and mindset is taking massive risk, and that with God himself for not doing what he called the church and us to be and do. With that in mind, if you see or attend a successful church, question it carefully and question what is truly being done there. Because the word of God can be highly convicting and often very uncomfortable to many, many more people than it truly delights, which is evidence that many, notice I said many, not all, Popular churches are really careful as to what they say because otherwise they would likely be very small, but at the same time, very okay with being small if they were bold, upfront, and risking, taking risk with God's word. Now to flip this around a bit, a number of you may have grown up on the other end of the spectrum and that of the fire and brimstone church, the pulpit-pounding, Bible-beating, 90-minute God-lashing, better known as the church of fear and condemnation. And I should say at this point, I have attended churches in both of these camps and found both to be equally demotivating. And the church of fear and condemnation is the church that goes beyond risk. And just like the careful church rides all on their own faith, faith in themselves and what they think God desires of them, and they risk risk. Of course, there are still hundreds more churches that simply combine these two styles known as the fence-riding church to make a further hypocritical mess of the true risk God has called us to in and through complete faith in him, his word and his desires and mandates of us. God does not call us to think about how to do church, like we do dishes, do laundry, and do projects around the house. God calls us to simply take risk and by simply teaching his words exactly as they are recorded, no more, no less. And that, I know, does not take a week's worth of preparation. It takes no more and no less than opening God's Word and deep conviction to tell it how it is. Can you only imagine how simple telling people about God would be if we just followed that simple direction? Is God's Word and expectation of us really that complicated? Absolutely not. 
We make it complicated, and more often than not, to impress people of how knowledgeable we are of the Bible and how deeply we are intertwined in ministry, and just to drone on and how much utterly exhausting time we pour into God and the preparation. Take note, God never called us to present ourselves like this in any form or fashion. In fact, God says when you are really digging into Him, like fasting, you are to keep looking really good. Jesus said in Matthew 6, don't practice your righteousness in front of others. When you give, don't talk about it. When you pray, go in private. When you fast, don't look pathetic, but instead look your best. Why? Because Jesus said, if you don't do these things and take the wrong risk by showing how good and kind and compassionate and holy you are, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. In other words, if we presume to think we are somehow bursting with biblical knowledge, while wallowing in a heap of ashes and sackcloth, and leading this holy, righteous life and attempting to look so God-honoring because we have a floor-to-ceiling library of Christian books and have the gift of religious gab, it will ultimately be stripped from us because we are not taking the risk God asked us to, yet we are taking considerable risk in hypocrisy. And I keep using the example of the church and referencing the performance of church and pointing to the leadership of church, but this is ultimately and directly pointing to every believer who calls themselves Christian, Christ followers, saved, born again, redeemed. We, each of us in the nation of believers, saved through repentance in Jesus Christ, have to get real with God and his words to us. We need to start taking risk in faith and ignore what is culturally cool, predominantly popular, and relatably relevant. We need to relish in risk and flock to faith in all humility and grace, trusting that God is in control and in the spreading of his own word, and that all we are are containers he fills up in order that we may dump it out, and exactly as he poured it in. And to some he will give much, and to others he will give little, and for some he will take it away and give nothing. This goes for everyone spreading God's word. You do not have to be ordained to do exactly what God expects of you, and that is to preach his word. Yes, just like a pastor, we are all to be well-versed, very well-versed in God's word, full-time ministers in the name of Christ. When we're finished, check out Mark 16, 15. This is not a job reserved for a few people around the globe who wear special religious garb, a suit, or choose the goth look to lead a church. This is a commandment for each of us. And perhaps if we knew that and took that seriously and risked our reputation and faith through Jesus, we would see our church and our friends, family and neighbors seek God through their newfound faith in Jesus explode. Maybe there is no revival because no one is taking any of the right risk. Faith without works is dead. It is very dead because the works are the God-honoring risk. No risk, no faith in God. James 2.20. We get a very clear picture in this next well-known passage of the man who gave his helpers his money to take care of while he was traveling. Matthew 25.14-30. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and 
hid it away. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away. Cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What an amazing parable, example of risk and faith. On the completely human side of this example, the master obviously felt he understood the abilities of each servant, and so he gave them each what he understood to be the proper amount based on their past performance in their work and personal lives. In other words, the faith he had in their given abilities and understanding. Furthermore, the servants standing there together before their master being handed their sacks of money would had to have understood that they were all being trusted with different amounts. Notice the master did not give everyone equal amounts. Doesn't that sound just like discrimination, unfair treatment, so cruel and unkind? Sounds like a perfect lawsuit for injustice against that rotten and sensitive master. But what did these three servants know instinctively when they got their various amounts? That the master obviously gave them what he believed they could handle. Who knows? They may have not felt it was fair. After all, that is quite a natural human response because we always want to be the best, trusted more than the other person, and have the bragging rights that we were the chosen one. Look at what I was entrusted with. Look at me. I'm a recognized congregant, elder, pastor, and so on. But have you really been entrusted with these things you claim by God? Or is it something you are just showing off, something you really don't have from God that you wished you did? And so the master left on his travels, and two of the servants invested their master's money. They did something with it. They took risk in faith. And even though the master did not specifically tell them to do anything in particular with his money, he did make it clear when he gave it to them that they all had different abilities, and that was a very clear sign that at least two of the servants were good at putting their personal resources to work with results. Yes, the master knew this, and so he dished it out accordingly. And consider this, those two servants took risk in their personal lives and at work, and the master knew that. And so two of the three servants just did what they thought was best and cared for the master's money as if it were their own money without fear. 
Again, in a worldly sense, this master certainly took a risk with his servants. He would have had no way of knowing exactly what would happen. He could have lost it all. After all, these servants could have been robbed. They may have turned on him and run off with it or just made a bad investment that resulted in a loss. But the master needed someone to look over this money because it definitely would not have been safe left unattended while he was away. And isn't that an amazing thought? That while our master Jesus is away, he is entrusting some of us and with varying amounts with his word to invest into the world. Don't neglect the fact that I believe this too can also be personal talents and abilities that he gives us to enjoy personally and to also share with the world. Interestingly enough, the servants took a risk by accepting this job of caring for the master's money. If something would have happened out of their control, their consequences could have been very, very severe. The servants too had to have at least some faith in their master that he was a fair and honest and just man. As the example goes, the master returns home, asks for his money back, and two of the three indeed took calculated risk and doubled what he entrusted them with. And he was very pleased with them. Wouldn't you be? It's kind of like the stock market. You put some amount of faith in your fellow stock market investors and take a risk. And if you are patient and let it do its thing by investing, it will grow. In contrast, put your money under the mattress and you will get no more than you started off with. And that is a waste. And evidently, God sees it the same way. And we see the master praises the two that doubled his resources and condemned the third servant and told him to get lost because he had no faith in his master. And ironically, no faith in himself because he wanted to make sure he didn't offend anyone with a potential mistake that could get him in trouble. So he took zero risk. And that fear and doing nothing got him nothing. Even the little he had been given was taken away and he was sent away completely empty. And I think many of us understand that feeling very well. How many of us feel empty and lost because we are not taking risk for the Lord? The short and sweet of it, the master trusted the servants and two of the servants trusted him. Now, however, let's look at this as this parable represents God as our master, as told by Jesus himself, who gives us, his servants, things to watch over. And think about it, God puts trust in us, if you will, and gives us so many things to use for his honor and glory. And some of us invest what he gives us and turn it into more, and others of us sit on what he gives us. And at that point, he takes what we do have and gives it away. Then we often say, see, I never get the good stuff in life. Everyone else is successful and I'm not. Why God? Why always me? Well, if you are asking yourself those questions because you feel as though you are not receiving the gifts from God, Ask yourself, am I and have I been using what God has given me to his honor and glory? Have I been taking risk in faith? And if you do have many gifts from God and he keeps giving more, be sure to give him all the praise and glory and keep investing, risking all that he gives you. God gives to those according to what they can handle, no more, no less. If you are good with a little, he will give you more. If you are not good with a little, you will have what little you have taken away. Luke 16, 10 through 12, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? 
It's okay to take risk for the Lord in faith, all to his honor and glory. Let's pray. Most gracious Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and your consistency in loving us and leading us. Keep us on the straight and narrow in our lives. Keep us from being conceited and prideful with what you have entrusted us with. Make known your desires through your word in our lives and how to use what you have entrusted us with, that we would put it to excellent use and invest it thoroughly, even at the potential risk of losing it all. Thank you for trusting us with your word and that you are using us to spread that and show others around the world who you are while you're away. And keep us grounded deep in faith and in all things that honor and glorify you. And we now ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior and our Master, who is soon to return. If you are joining us by podcast, please visit our website at faceyourfaith.com for more information and resources.